Well, welcome. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here. I think it's still feeding back a little bit. Um, yeah, Christmas. Wow. Comes so fast. I remember when I was a kid, you know, it couldn't come soon enough, and now it's like, stop, you know. Because, you know, with holidays, especially Christmas, is such a long buildup to it. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes it can create a lot of stress, a lot of conflict, you know. Manger scenes, well, we can't have them in public anymore, you know. Is it a Christmas tree or is it a holiday tree? Because we don't want to offend anybody, uh, you know, manger scenes and, and all those things. Uh, and it sometimes can be overwhelming. Sometimes it reminds you of, of, of someone that, a loved one that's gone and, and passed on. And uh, I always, in my own amusement, try to think of analogies to describe something. And uh, I'm going to share you with, me, uh, with you my analogy of Christmas. And it's based on a train, because I love trains, uh, coincidentally. When I was growing up, uh, my grandmother lived near the Amtrak line. And whenever I went over there, I'd walk over to see if I could see a train coming. And a strange coincidence is that the building that I work in now is in that same exact place. So I still go up to the tracks and see the trains. But I used to go, and you stand on the tracks, and you could see for miles, because it's straight. And you just hope a train would come, just like when you're a little kid, hoping Christmas would come. And every once in a while, suddenly you'd see that light pop up, and your heart would race, a train's coming. And you'd watch and watch, and it seemed like it's, it's taking forever. You know, it seems like it's going so slow. But it would get, finally it'd start to get closer, the light would get brighter, and finally you can see the outline of an engine. And the next thing you know, it's, it's right in front of you, and it's big, and it's huge, and it comes flying past you, and it's going so fast, and, and you, you want to stand as close as you can, and your heart's racing, and the wind's blowing, and it's going fast, and things are blowing in your face, and it's creating a lot of chaos, and then, and then it passes. And that's it. You stand left watching, as it, and it seems to disappear faster than it came. And sometimes you wonder, like with Christmas, you know, is that all there is? You know, when you're, you're busy, you know, you're planning, you know, buying gifts and wrapping gifts and putting up the decorations and listening to songs and visiting family and, and, and baking and cooking and visiting, and you're doing the whole thing, and you get up and you have Christmas morning, and you do more busyness, and open the gifts, and there's chaos, and, and the next day, it's, it's, it's like, sometimes, and not always, but sometimes it can leave you, like, wondering, is that all it is? Is that all there is to Christmas? Um, but uh, the thing is, uh, we do celebrate the birth of Christ, and I think it's a good thing, and I don't mind businesses promoting Christmas because, unfortunately, that's how they survive. The Christmas season uh, helps to make them survive. Uh, but sometimes a lot of those peripheral things can help us lose focus on what we're really celebrating. And it seems like more and more there are critics uh, trying to uh, dispose of Christmas and, and tell us that it's something else. They always want to remind us that Christmas is really a, a pagan holiday. Well, it's not. Um, it just so happens that, that people uh, worship the solstice, which just happened yesterday, because they were celebrating the end of dark days 
and the coming of lighter days. And I celebrate the solstice too because the darkness is very depressing for me. And I look forward to, we already gained five minutes of, of sunset and, I'm, and that, that makes a big difference to me because I want to see the lighter days coming too. But earlier Christians, what they wanted to do was they just wanted to bring people to Christ. And so they, and, and there were Christians that believed that Jesus was born on December 25th. They believed that he was conceived in March and that he was born in December. Now we don't really know what date specifically. God chose not to give us a specific date. We can wonder and we can search and there are probably some that make a good estimate, but it's a really irrelevant uh, but Christmas has been traditionally celebrated on the 25th, and that is when the world celebrates uh, Christ, and that's a good thing. Um, and so, as I said, we don't know the exact date, um, but, you know, there is a good thing that comes from celebrating Christmas, and that there is a spirit of joy and peace and, and giving, uh, and, and that still transcends even through all of the, of the doubt and the criticisms. Uh, but the important thing is that uh, Jesus is not a holiday. Jesus is a savior. And uh, whenever I think, uh, I like to think about God. Uh, the only thing we really know about God is in the Bible. There are other things that he doesn't tell us because I don't think that we really uh, could understand. We don't have the capacity uh, to understand. Uh, but I like to think about God, like who is he? Where is he? What, what is he doing? Um, God, one thing that amazes me about God is that he, he always has existed. And I can't comprehend because in my reality, that's impossible. Everything I know had a beginning and it has an end, ending. Uh, but God has always been. And I remember... Uh, Remember when he said to Moses, and Moses was being sent uh, to help free the Israelites, he says, well, who should I say is sending me? And one of my favorite uh, things, especially in the movie, The Ten Commandments, you know, with Charlton Heston, you had this uh, booming voice that says, I am. The I am has sent you. And that's all we can understand about who God is, I am. He has always existed. And he has the power, again, that I can't understand, to, to control the universe, to create. Uh, that is not in my comprehension. But you think about this. God obviously can do or have whatever he wants. The desire of his heart was to be the father of children that he could love and take care of and bless and bring happiness and joy. And to be, again, to be a loving father to his children. Now he devised a plan, because can you imagine him creating a race of beings and they're in his presence and, okay, here I am, see me, love me. You know, that, that, that wasn't his plan. His desire was to create a system where we would have free will. And we know that sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden, and there had to be a choice, choosing sin or choosing God. That is, that is true love. If you force someone to love you, that's not true love. God didn't want to force anyone to love him. He wanted us to love him uh, by choice. And that was his plan. So if sin entered the world, then 
there had to be a plan to save mankind, and his plan was to send a Savior to rescue the perishing. Now, Jesus, we know, is God, and he is the creator. From the beginning, Jesus was there in the beginning. Where the beginning of God was, I don't know. What, what time frame did, in God's existence did he begin creation as in Genesis? We don't know those things. God will reveal those things, I assume, when we get to heaven. But we know, as it says in, in chapter John, you're all familiar, where it says, In the beginning, beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. So we know that Jesus was God, but we also have the Trinity. Again, we can, we can understand only to a point. God the Father, who when Jesus was on earth, subjected himself to the will of the Father. So we have God the Father, Jesus, God. We have the Holy Spirit, God. They're not three different gods. They're not three different personalities. There's one God. We can understand it, but we cannot understand it. But we, we know and believe, and that's where faith comes in. We believe these things without total explanation. We believe them in faith. But Jesus was God. But he left his throne in glory and came to earth to be the Savior for mankind, to separate uh, our sin uh, from judgment. So where was Jesus before his birth? And that's... Those are things I like to think about. I like to think about things that we can't understand. It just helps me to draw uh, deeper into my relationship with God. But where was Jesus uh, prior to his birth? Uh, why don't you turn to Isaiah chapter 6, and we'll look at a few verses uh, and determine uh, what, what God's plan really was. Now, we're all familiar in the New Testament with the, the familiar verses in Matthew and Luke about the birth of Jesus and you know, there was a census to be taken, and that brought everybody back to their hometown. We, we know those stories, but, but the story of Jesus and the birth of Jesus isn't just a New Testament event. Uh, it was God's plan from the very first verse in the Bible, and, and Isaiah uh, gives some uh, verses that gives us a better explanation. Isaiah 6, uh, verses 1 through 5, and this is talking about the commission of Isaiah, and it says, In the year... That King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And here is a vision that Isaiah had of Jesus on his throne. Now, I don't know what type of person Isaiah was exactly. I don't know every event in his life, but I know that he was a prophet and a holy man of God. And, you know, when we talk about trying to measure up, um, I would doubt seriously if I could measure up 
to Isaiah. Never mind Jesus, that's, that's impossible. But I don't even know if I can measure up to Isaiah. But here is a man, a prophet of God, who when he was in his presence, realized what a dirty, sinful man he was. Because Jesus in his holiness, in perfection, uh, it, it makes us, it reveals even deeper the depths of our sin. So here is Isaiah seeing this Jesus who is yet to be born on earth uh, in his role uh, as the Lord of all creation. If you want to just turn a page over to Isaiah 9, verse 6, we will see uh, other verses. Again, we know that in Luke, there's a description of the birth of Jesus. But here in the Old Testament, as I said, this was God's plan from the beginning to send a Savior. In Isaiah 9, uh, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And this talks about when Jesus finally uh, has a total victory uh, in judgment over the earth and the earth is cleansed. We know that there will be a time of tribulation and there will be a time in the millennial kingdom when Jesus will reign. But again, the purpose of these verses is to... Uh, give a prophecy of the coming uh, of, uh, coming Messiah. These are, this is for the Jews. This message was to the Jews uh, to, to make them aware that the Messiah they had been longing for would come in the future so they would know who to look for. Uh, now we know the story of what happened when Jesus was born. Uh, they were deceived and did not recognize him and therefore they were cut off. But God's plan was to bring the message to the Jews. And then, as we know, when Jesus came, he established uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. Uh, but originally, this message of the coming Messiah was coming to the Jews. Uh, if we choose uh, to move a little uh, further down here in, in Isaiah 52, more verses. And, and Jesus is throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah 52, verse 13. says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. And here there's a description of the uh, Lamb of God uh, slain on the cross. Uh, the very ones that he was coming to save were now nailing his feet to a cross. They were uh, forcing th th uh, thorns onto his head. They were piercing his side uh, with a spear. These are the ones uh, that Jesus loved who was coming uh, to save. Uh, but again, uh, this message to the Jews 
uh, was missed when Jesus finally arrived. And it goes on in 53, uh, verse 2. It says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we were considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. The wounds of Jesus healed our sin if we trust in him. Again, the message to the Jews to prepare them to receive the Messiah when he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Yet they were so deceived in their own minds that they did not recognize the very one that was described here in prophecy. Um, so, as I said, we know the familiar verses of the birth of Jesus. Matthew and Luke have familiar accounts, uh, stories of the events of what went on. And the, and they went to find room. There wasn't room and ended up in a stable. And that wasn't an uncommon thing. Uh, you know, people would live in those days uh, they would wherever they could. Um, but the, the message is not a message unless there's a response. And what is our response? Um, we know John 3.16, so God so loved the world. We're so fortunate that God is a God of love, but not in the way the world understands. See, a lot of people, they want to they know the name of God. Okay, God, God's a loving God. You, okay, you stay over there, and I don't really need you right now, but I'll live my life as I see fit. And when I die, I'll stand before you, and I know you're a God of love, and you'll probably say, ah, okay, you weren't that bad. But how do we measure our goodness? Well, usually we would compare ourselves to the world, and usually it's the worst of worst. Well, I don't rob banks, I haven't killed anybody yet. You know, I'm not as bad as this person over here. Well, what is, what is good and what is bad? Are we 49% bad, 51% good? That gets us in heaven well, that's, that's our philosophy, and that's what we, some people want to live by. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him would not perish. So whoever should believe in him. Okay, well, okay, I know God and Jesus. What about Jesus? Well, I hear that name. I've heard that name. I've been to church. I've heard the name Jesus. So yeah, I know Jesus. Well, that's, that's not knowing Jesus. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about a personal relationship with God. Um, and that really is what the gospel is all about. And it seems like a simple thing. Um, and it is somewhat simple. Because it really is just believing that we're sinners. And being sorry for our sin. And asking God to forgive us through the blood of Jesus. To be reconciled to him and to go on to do Good things, works, as James says. But what is so hard? Why, why does the Bible say that narrow is the path that come to Jesus? And wide is the path to destruction? I don't understand people that fight so hard to believe. in the real problem, the root, the problem is not the words. 
The, the problem is pride. And, and, and that is what's going to destroy so many people because so many people don't want to say, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm a bad... I'm a, well, I'm not bad compared to this person. But we have to compare ourselves like Isaiah did. Isaiah was in his presence. And as I said, Isaiah was probably a holy man. He probably followed the laws of God and he talked with God. He had a personal fellowship God. God talked with him. And now he's in his presence and he realized what a wicked sinner he was because now our sin is illuminated by the holiness of God. So we can't compare ourselves to the world or to some particular person. We have to compare ourselves to Jesus. If Jesus stands next to us, what, what do we look like as far as our sin? So pride, as we know, is a downfall of Satan because he wanted to be like God. He was a beautiful being, probably the most beautiful. He had power. And he were, here he was serving God personally in heaven. And he got to the point where he felt that he was just as important as God. And that pride has been given as a gift from Satan to us. And we have pride. And I have known really good people that just could not understand that they were sinners. And there's a lot of news, if you follow the news, there's a lot in the news today about what is sin. And people don't like to have their sin pointed out because they want to feel satisfied and justified in their lives. And when you point out that they're sinners, it's like shining a light. When you know, go into a kitchen and turn on the light, the cockroaches run because they like the darkness. And there is a battle here between darkness and light. And that's why in, in John it said Jesus came to be the light of men, to, to bring light to dark places. That is why uh, dark is a scary thing because there are things that hide. Evil can hide in darkness. So, you know, if people have had a fear of, of dark for years because it hides evil and hides darkness. Now, in Philippians 2.10, it says that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So again, the question is, well, why, if you're going to do it, God will, God will force you to recognize the fact that Jesus is Lord. And on Judgment Day, whether you're in the narrow path or the, or the, white, or the wide path, you will bow your knee and you'll confess that Jesus is Lord. So why do people fight so hard to resist God. We know in, the, in Revelation it talks about when judgment is coming upon this earth and people will look up and see the wrath of God being poured out from heaven, yet they will want the rocks to fall on them and hide them because they still won't relent and give up their pride here. Now, there aren't any uh, magic words uh, to... Uh, the gospel. It, it, it's a matter of, of the heart. Um, it, it's a gift uh, that comes from God. We know that in Ephesians uh, 2, 8 and 9, uh, it says that, uh, for by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. So faith is how we're saved. But even that is not from us. That, that is a gift that God will give to you. Well, how do you get faith? Well, I don't know exactly. Why do I have faith? I don't know. I know that 
when I was growing up that I believed in God, I went to church, and I, I thought, I've shared this before, I, I, God was very scary to me because what I was taught about God, or at least what I perceived, was that, let's see, there was hell, purgatory, the world is going to be destroyed by fire. One way or another, God was going to get me. And it was scary. So I, I did believe in God, though. I certainly did. And I knew, I knew that I was a sinner. I mean, I would go to confession. I would just make things up because I, I couldn't keep a list of all my sins. I would just, you'd go in and, you know, you'd shut the door and the priest would open that thing and you got to tell him all your sins. I just, you know, I, well, I was lying, you know, disobeying my parents, stealing, you know, usual stuff. So I believe, I grew up believing in God. I tried out a few different things. I had a friend whose mother was into prophets, you know, Edgar Cayce, and so I started reading books about that. You know, I believed that there was some secret to life, you know, and I wanted to know what that secret was, and it was a long path. You know, I, from the time of my youth till I got saved, you know, I was 30 years old, and although I never really, you know, I wasn't I wasn't on this dedicated path to search for God, but I believe that I was always looking for the truth. I always was wondering about God. And it was just through a series of blessings. God was just blessing our life, our lives. And I just recognized that it wasn't me. It was God blessing me. And it was that question of, of why. So, so I, don't know, I don't know what faith is exactly, or where it comes from, but I know that it's a gift from God. You know, does God look down and see our hearts and, and manipulate us and make us believe in Him? I don't. I don't think so because because we ha- it has to be our choice. But it also the Bible also indicates that if He didn't help anybody, that no one would be saved because uh, by nature it is just our nature to do whatever it is we want to do, and we don't like rules. And it's kind of funny how with God, people feel very comfortable making their own rules about God. Now, if you're going to apply for a job and you go for an interview and you sit down, you say, okay, yeah, I'm interested in this job. And here's, the, here's how much I want to be paid. And here's the hours I want to work. You know, I want my vacation this time. You know, I want some benefits. And uh, here's, here's, here's the chores. Here's the activities I will do. I won't do these. Uh, you know, my guess is if you go in uh, with that attitude, you're probably not going to get hired. You know, we have uh, everybody's, uh, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people enjoy sports. Well, there's rules in sports. You know, you can, you know, you watch football and they're always throwing those flags because they're doing things that are illegal maneuvers. But we, we insist when it comes to our, to our very souls, to our eternity, that we're going to tell God what the rules are. And so, God, you know, I'm going to tell you that I'll live my life the way I want to. And I'm going to determine in my own mind that I'm not as bad as others. And so if I'm not as bad as others, then when I die, then I expect to go to heaven. Uh, but as I said, there aren't any magic words 
you, you've probably heard. Now, I don't know, see, I, I don't know what all of your positions are with Jesus. I mean, I'm hopefully assuming you all know Jesus, so am I just speaking to the choir? Well, that's, that isn't my attention, my intention. Uh, I mean, we also stream, so this could go out to somebody else. That, that isn't the point. The point is that the message of the gospel, the simple message of the gospel, is just so good for us to remember to understand what, what Jesus did for us. And uh, that was my purpose being Christmas, uh, just to bring that. But as I said, we've probably all heard, maybe, maybe somebody suggested a prayer to you. We've, we've, seen, uh, we've seen it done. You know, pray, you know, people, how do I get saved? Well, we'll pray Pray like this. Pray, you know, Jesus, you know, such and such. But, but it isn't the words. There's no magic prayer. It isn't, it isn't in the words. Um, if you turn to uh, Romans chapter 10, it's, it's a matter of your heart. Where, where is your heart? You can't, you can't fool God into pretending that your heart is for him. If you remember... In Matthew chapter 7, there are people that who have been serving God, doing things, and when they stand before him, he says, who are you? I don't recognize you, but, you know, we've cast out demons, and we've done this, and we've done that. And Jesus said, I never knew you. I don't know you. Jesus wants to know you. And as I said, it is not the magic of some prayer. It's a matter of your heart. And you don't need to say it out loud. You can say it in your heart. You can say it to somebody else. But in, in, in uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are pro- proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So again, there's no magic in the prayer. There's no special meaning in that. There probably... I would not doubt if there are people that have said the prayer are not saved because they think that words mean something without being connected to the heart. What is your heart saying? Do you know, do you believe in Jesus? Okay, I don't understand all this stuff. There's so much I don't understand. There's a lot here. I don't understand a lot. But do you understand this? That Jesus was God. Now, in the Old Testament... Again, God presented a picture of what the meaning of the shedding blood is. We know that God says the shedding, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Well, again, there's a question. Why why did God do that? I don't know. But we know that blood is is the life force of our human body. Again, that's the way God designed it. And in the Old Testament, God instituted the practice in Leviticus of animals being slaughtered, having their blood shed. And now that was only a temporary thing. That had to be done daily and weekly and monthly and also on the Day of Atonement. It had to be done for the nation. And there was a temple and there was a mercy seat and blood would, blood would be sprinkled on the Day of Atonement 
for the, for, for the remission of sins, for the atoning of sins. That wasn't a permanent forgiveness. That was a picture, an analogy God's giving to show and teach the Jews what, blood, what does shedding of blood mean? What does it mean? Well, you have to shed blood. You know, they should be start, this should start be sinking in with, with, with the Jews that we, we've got to shed blood because of, the, because of our sin. There had to be innocent suffering of these animals for our, for our sin. Now, when Jesus came and his blood was shed, he, what he did, there is, the temple that was the model for what the Israelites built the, the real temple is, was in the throne of God. And when Jesus died, when he ascended to heaven, he put his blood on that mercy seat. And that was the atoning sacrifice for all sin because Jesus' blood was worthy for every sin by every person to, to be forgiven as a sacrificial lamb of God. And that's, again, we can't understand that to its fullest. And that's where faith comes in, the things that we can't fully understand Okay, we know what Jesus did. So again, it's the matter of your heart. You can say the words and not mean them, but you have to mean them. It has to be in your heart that you know that Jesus died for you. He allowed people to spit on him and beat him. But he did that because he loved us. We also know that it is not the desire of God that anyone should perish. Well, why doesn't he save everybody? It had to be our choice. Again, we, these things we can understand and not understand. God, I assume, will explain them fully when we're with him. But God cannot exist in the presence of sin. He is a holy and righteous God. He just cannot dwell with sin. It cannot be in his presence. If we came into the presence of God in our sinful nature without Jesus, we would just be evaporated because we just cannot be in his presence. But in 2 Peter 3, 9, it's not his will that any should perish. That's not what's in God's heart. He wants everyone to come to know Jesus. But it has to be their choice. You know, I remember when I was growing up, I had this book. And it came with these plastic glasses with these red lenses. And you could look at the pages of the book and you'd see one image. But when they'd put these glasses on, you'd see a totally different image. Because it would block out certain things. And that's what happens when we come into the presence of God. Jesus, God puts on his Jesus glasses, and he can't see our sin anymore. It's gone. I mean, we're still sinners. Now, now God will glorify us and sanctify us. It'll be a completed process when we're in his presence. But he said, God says, I, I won't see your sin because I'd be looking at you through Jesus. Now, the other thing is, Again, people can say, well, I know God. I, I know Jesus, so I must be going to heaven. But you have to receive it. And I have another analogy that I'm going to share with you. Let's say I'm feeling in a generous mood, and I have a $100 bill. I don't know if you've seen the new ones. They're really pretty. They're all colorful, and they've got these stripes on, and they're really nice. You ought to get some. Let's say I've got this... $100 bill, and I'm feeling generous, and I want to give it to somebody. I'm going to give it to Alex. By the way, I'm not giving you $100. But I have $100, and I say to Alex, Alex, I just want to give you a gift. Don't ask why. It's $100. Come see me after church. I'm going to give it to you. It's a free gift. 
Well, Alex, he's always in a hurry. He wants to leave. He's out the door. He doesn't come see me. On the way home, stops at the store. Oh, I got to get some groceries. Loads up the cart. It's all filled up with all his favorite stuff. Gets up to the cashier. She rings it out. She says, that'll be $100. He says, no problem. Jim Hines, got 100 bucks. says it's mine. <laughs> What's she going to say? Well, that's, that's no good. You haven't received the gift. You can't know God. You can't know Jesus by name. You have to receive him personally. There's got to be a point in your life where you say, God, I am a sinner. Sin is wrong. Your word declares it and reveals it. I'm sorry for my sin. You know, I'm sorry for my sin every day. <laughs> I regret to confess that I'm still a sinner because it's my nature and I fight every day and I have to ask God for forgiveness. I'm not getting saved over and over again. I've been saved because when I went to God in repentance, I recognized myself as a sinner and I asked God to forgive me. That was it. It's done deal. But I do have to deal with it daily. If you remember the, the parable of Peter in the washing of the feet. You know, it was a custom when you traveled around, when you'd go into somebody's house, that they would wash your feet because you wore sandals and your feet would get dirty. You know, and the washing of the feet was, was, was that daily cleansing. But we've been washed by the blood of Jesus and we've been forgiven. We don't need to get saved daily. But we do need to, to be in fellowship with God daily and confess our sin and, and work to do a better job at, at not being a sinner. But if you don't, if, you, if there isn't that time in your life where you've said, yes, I'm a sinner, and I recognize Jesus as the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, I ask forgiveness for my sin, I'm going to turn from it, but Jesus, please come in and forgive me. If you do that, heaven is yours. It's a gift from God. No one can ever take it away, no matter what you do. But hopefully through the Holy Spirit of God, you'll go on to do uh, good works. So we have... Jesus, the Word, was there in creation. Then he became a baby. And then he grew up. He became a man. And he taught his disciples. Then he was crucified. Crucified Savior. Now, what is next for the world? Well, we know that there is judgment coming upon this world because Jesus tells us that. And that's, that is a plan and a purpose of God as well. Uh, one of the plans for this tribulation period is to judge Israel for their sin and rebellion against God and to reconcile them at the end. Uh, but it's also to cleanse the earth to make way for the millennial reign of Christ where he will rule from the throne of David and rule over the nations and we will see what it's like to live in a world where Jesus is Lord. And then we know there's a final battle at the end and then there's a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, but I just want to finish up uh, reading about uh, Jesus on the throne as judge. If you turn to Revelation chapter 5, it's an amazing coincidence that every message I ever give ends up in Revelation. 
but it's a very, very important book because it is really the next thing in prophecy that we will experience. And time is short. Time is short. We don't know. It could come today. It may, we, not, may, we may not see it in our lifetime. But I guarantee you, as I look at the obituaries every day, that people every day are going into eternity. And eventually, as the years add up, you will too. And now is the day where you need to know Jesus. But in chapter 5 uh, of Revelation, uh, verse 6 starts out with this. It says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, because you were slain with your blood. You purchased for men, for God, for every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth in wisdom and strength, in honor and praise, in glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. That is the judge, Jesus, from creation to baby to man to Savior, and now to judge, to judge the earth and to judge sin. But also to those that have trusted in Jesus, we will be like these 24 elders. We will be in the presence of God to worship him and to receive the love that is in his heart and his desire to bless us in a new heaven and a new earth. And so, as I said, I don't know everybody here and what your state is, I assume, or hopefully assume you've already made that decision. Maybe somebody is listening on the web. Uh, but if you haven't made the decision, you know, don't leave here today. And if you've already made that decision, as I said, daily, we need to come to Jesus and confess our sin and ask for his help and strength uh, to not leave us in this way of nature to sin but to take a step forward in faith and to be faithful in serving Him. Uh, so that is your mission for today. If there's others that you meet along the road, uh, give them a good word of peace and, and introduce them to Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we just again acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and we uh, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that He's been raised from the dead. And if you tell us if we do that, then we're saved and that heaven is a gift uh, to us from you through your grace. Well, Father, we look forward to that day when we will see you face to face. 
Until that time, help us to be ever faithful in telling others about Jesus and doing those things that you've already prepared for us to do, Lord. So, uh, again, thank you for Jesus, and we just uh, I pray that uh, many would come to know you, Lord, in these coming days. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we'll stand up and sing a final song.